You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. Hey, what's up? Before you listen, I have a quick request from you. While you're over here listening, go ahead on down, give us a rating and a review, especially if you're on Apple Music. Let us know how much you appreciate what we bring, the conversation, the dialogue. Tell us how it supports you. Give us that good five star. We appreciate you. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Pause on the Play. As always, it is amazing to see you here, where you're challenged to examine your beliefs, question your predisposed notions, and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here to get the dialogue going. So, I am recording this on, what is today's date? Tuesday, November 10th which happens to be, what, three days after, my days are terrible here, let's see, 10-97, Saturday, November 7th, which was the day that the election was called for Joe Biden to be the 46th president of the United States here, and for Kamala Harris to be the first ever black and Asian female vice president. So I actually want to start, but I'm going to take a quick second because I've been very focused on making sure that like, you know, what's next? What's the work that has to be done? However, I'm going to take a quick second and acknowledge a few things. Number one, two people of color have been voted to occupy the White House. One of actually, one actually has occupied, did occupy for eight years, Barack Obama and um, Kamala Harris now, um, Vice President-elect to occupy as of January 20th. Did not see this happening in my lifetime. Did not see this happening in my children's lifetime. And so my kids were born into a world where a black man was president. And they are now still under 10 watching a self-identified black woman being voted in as VP. And... That's fucking amazing. And so there's something to be said about seeing somebody up on that stage, giving that speech on a Saturday night that represented me, looked like my daughter. You know, like there's just something about seeing someone that represents 
me, people that I love, people that I support, people that I want to see not have to be an afterthought. And so for that, that's fucking amazing. And it, you know, it's something that like, and I've had conversations with my kids where I'm like, my son had a point where he was like, mommy, I need water. Cause I have a lump in my throat with what we're talking about. <laughs> like he was getting emotional and it, it's just, you know, there's different types of conversations and being able to have these conversations because this is what's happening, not because it's a hypothetical. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, you know, slightly blown away. However, comma, and for those of you that know me, I like my commas. Um, <laughs> um, there's a whole shit ton of work that needs to be done because there's still damn near half of the country that wanted another four years of Trump. And I want to make it clear that while I have my own personal feelings about Trump um, and, and some of his actions and his, his ways of being and his way of leading, um, I want to also, you know, make it very clear that if you didn't, if it wasn't clear before, um, and there probably has been some places where I specifically just felt how I felt about him, but um, there were also times that I was speaking more about what he represents and the environment that comes with him. And so going forward, if you hear me mention him, uh, it's not about him. It is about what he represents. It is about the ideologies that he is bringing to the forefront um, that I don't think were not there before, but I think that maybe they were not as, let's say, blatant. And the types of things that he has activated in his base that are not conducive to large amounts of not just the U.S., but people as a whole. Um, I also want to going forward, make it clear that I am speaking from where I sit on the East Coast of the United States. However, I really want everyone that is listening because I have been extremely fortunate to have people reaching out and have dialogues with me and listening to me doing this from from Finland, from New Zealand. There's a, I, I looking at stats, I'm like, there's people in Africa listening to me. I will absolutely take that. Um, but you know, I, I have specific people that I know that I've talked with as well in like UK and Germany, um, Mexico, Canada. And so knowing that we have global reach, I want to focus on and make sure that those that are not in the US don't feel as though what we speak about here doesn't apply to them. Because the things that I personally and professionally am invested in seeing are not just for those of us here in the U.S. It's for anybody that needs free and equal access in order to create equity. So just wanted to do a little housekeeping on that. Um, so going back to where I was going with this, I am very clear that when we were waiting for election results, it didn't matter what happened in the sense of, did that change my goals? No, the goals were going to be the same. It was just, how was I going to proceed? And so I knew that if it was Trump, it was going to have to come from a place of, okay, 
there were a few more percentages on one side that said we want to keep this and so therefore I knew that there were things that I might have to be a little bit more vocal about or a little bit louder about now on the other side um, president-elect is Biden and VP is going to be um, Harris however damn near half the country still wanted four years of Trump and so with that um, those ideologies that they wanted, the things that they were um, requesting him to stay for, there are quite a few of them that don't go along with what I stand for and what I advocate for and what um, I use my voice and my platform for. So I knew that, okay, I'm going to have to kind of counteract that. And so, you know, I have some things that I want to kind of present to you as what I want you to focus on. But I also want to go through some of these statistics and things that I found uh, because of the fact that, first of all, you know I'm not the person to show up with the stats. However, I thought that it was really important here because, again, damn near half the country wanted one thing that the other half didn't. And so we are so divided, so divided. And I think that it's really important to acknowledge these things because, you know, if you're standing in a grocery line and there's there's 10 people with you, well, four were with you with whatever you were doing. And then those other five, you know, were on the other side. And so it's a very, you know, kind of stark visual to think that literally, you know, in a room full of people, it's it's almost half and half. And to look at some of these statistics that um, I pulled, which I pulled from New York Times, um, and to see what has shifted also over these past four years, it again, just points out how much work there is to be done. And this is why for me, it's not about, uh, celebrating or mourning. It's about what's next. What's the work that has to be done and what needs to shore up equity actually being created. So for example, in 2016, 52% of white women voted for Trump. This time it was 55%. And the conversation the last time was like, oh, the white women didn't, didn't show up. They didn't support. They showed up this time and they voted for Trump. And so there's a lot of white women right now that are cheering. We did it. We did it. Uh, mm, I don't know about that because the fact of the matter is black voters turned out black voters were what got Biden elected. And I want to bring up, you know, the fact that the last time there were 10, about 10 million less Republican voters that voted. So that means this time there were 10 million additional Republicans that went and voted. And because Trump told them not to vote mail-in because to not trust it, um, which are unfounded claims, they went in person. Be damn the Rona, they went in person. And this time, 8 million more Democrats showed up, which included mail-in, but it also included additional Democrats in all of these long lines that you saw on television and, you know, online through, you know, all the imagery of people that were waiting hours, some of them days to vote. And so Republican or Democrat aside, almost 20 million additional people voted this election cycle. 
And I will say that if nothing else, that means that additional, an additional 20 million people were activated. That's a win because that means that there were people that were willing to use their voice in the democratic process. And there's something to be said for that. That means the last time, and, and again, this is being recorded on Tuesday and there's still not a lot, but there are still some votes being counted. So approximately 20 million additional people showed up to show out. That's important to acknowledge. Um, Pennsylvania flipped again. Pennsylvania, okay, so in 2016, that was the first time that a Republican had flipped Pennsylvania red since 1988. And this time, Biden flipped it back in large part to, you know, high density areas like Philly. But it had been blue all those times and Trump flipped it. This time, voters being activated flipped it back blue. And we're also watching it play out with Georgia because Georgia currently is flipped blue. In large part to highly densely um, populated places like Atlanta that voted. And I'm going to acknowledge something that I don't think enough people are acknowledging in that Stacey Abrams, who did not win when she ran, I think it was midterms two years ago, uh, she activated the whole hell out of those people down there. And it still is because she is getting them geared up for their runoff that's going to be in January. Stacey Abrams is doing her work. So if you want to do your own research to look into her and see if you want to support her um, and if you feel good about it, I advocate and highly support you doing so because Stacey Abrams is the shit. I just want to put that out there. Um, when it comes to masks, people voted uh, that it was personal choice when they voted for Trump, highly. Uh, there was a high percentage that voted for Biden that said it was a uh, public responsibility. I don't think this particular one here is any surprise, but people that were in support of the Black Lives Matters movement um, were Biden voters. Trump voters were not in support of Black Lives Matters movement. Now, the only differentiation there I want to put is that it doesn't clearly state whether or not it's the movement or it's the organization. Now, I will say that I think for some of the Biden voters, and I'm going to include myself in this one, there is a difference between the movement and the organization. Um, but for Trump voters, I think they lumped it all together. Didn't matter to them. Um, and for some of them, they may not have really even thought about this, but for a number of them, they absolutely did. And they were very aware of that when they voted. Um, when it came to temperament, the economy, coronavirus, and if you were scared whether or not the, uh, what, let me take that back. If you were scared, if the other opponent were to take office. Okay. So those four things, temperament, economy, coronavirus. And if you were, to, you would be scared if the opponent took office, it was 80 to 90% or higher on both sides in whether or not you thought your party was the one for that. So for Biden, you know, they thought he had a better temperament, you know, would be better for the economy, better handle the Rona. <laughs> the Rona, um, and would be afraid if Trump took office. And again, Trump voters felt that Trump had a better temperament, better for the economy, 
better handling of coronavirus and would be afraid if Biden took office. That was pretty, I mean, that was super consistent. Literally 80 to 90%, if not higher, some of them were 95% on some of these, but it was consistently no lower than 80% on all of those on both sides. And it was overwhelming. Like again, 90 percentiles that people stuck to their parties. And so there were a lot of people that, you know, and unfortunately in Maryland, um, our, our governor stuck to his party and wrote in Ronald Reagan. And in my opinion, wasted a vote. Um, but he wouldn't jump party lines. And this time that was consistent for Democrats and Republicans. They didn't, they didn't jump party lines where there, there are definitely cases where I think Democrats may be willing to jump a party line if they feel as though it's a better candidate. Um, however, Republicans, they pretty consistently do not jump party lines. Now, the thing to me that I found kind of disturbing was the fact that there were more Asian, Black, and LGBTQIA plus voters for Trump than there were last time. That was a little bit scary to me. A lot scary. I think it was 28% LGBTQIA plus that identified as that voted for Trump. I was like, holy shit. Because from my viewpoint, he doesn't stand for them. And so it was a, a, a very sobering thing to see that there were people that weren't really supported by uh, his policies, his rhetoric, how he shows up, how he speaks about people as a whole. Um, and they still voted for him. And so it also calls out the fact that there were a number of people that voted for him, not because they liked him, but because they felt like he was good for their pockets. And so be damned anybody else that it didn't support. And so with all that information, for me, it made it very clear how can I be more vocal about what I do? How can I foster more equity, specifically financial equity, to shift disparities and the balance of things? Uh, how is it that I can utilize my platform, being that I am in the private sector and I am not under any of the laws that um, Trump has tried to push to keep certain diversity or inclusion work from being done in organizations and that they are, he, what did he deem them? Um, uh, un-American. And so I don't have anyone saying that I can't do that. I can use my voice freely, personally and professionally. Um, I have access to be able to make impact. I have the reach to different entrepreneurs that do have a platform, do have you know, financial resources and, and access and networks to see how this can work. And I'd love for you to ask yourself the same thing of, you know, who do I have access to that has access? Money, platform, network that can help to shift things in a way that is more equitable. And it's not even about shifting it away from Republicans or Trump. That's not the point. The point is how can it be more equitable? And so it's very easy to think, oh, I don't have these things. I don't know anyone. Yes, you do. And 
it, it's not about the fact that it has to be like this large scale thing for everyone. It just has to start somewhere. So I want to give you a couple of questions that I want you to think about and, you know, give yourself some time, feel free. Now I'll, I'll give you some pauses in between so you can write them down or feel free to pause and then hit play so that you can go ahead and get these down. Take these back to the, the, the spaces that you're in, take this back to, to your community, you know, literally, you know, talk with your neighbors, talk with your coworkers, uh, talk with your family members, the people that you know, that you are in community with, see what, what can happen. So the first one is what's next? What is next? Because we have a president and VP elect, you know, Biden and Harris, but like I said, still damn near 50% of the country wanted to keep Trump and Pence. So we know this now, what's next? Number two, what is your goal? What is it that you would like to see happen that you can impact? And I want you to give yourself some parameters here. I want you to break it down in one year, two years, three years, and four years. And I'm going to tell you why I say that. Four years is because at that point, we're going to be having a uh, transfer of power to the next person coming in. Three years, we're going to be choosing candidates for who we are going to choose to transfer power in the next four years. Two years, midterm elections. So, and it's important because a lot of people don't vote in midterms. You have to vote in midterms. You have to, you have to, you have to. It is important to vote at all times. Do not waste a vote because there are people that fought and died for that vote. Use your vote at all times. And one year, you have people that you need to be able to have in position to be able to run for two years. You have to uh, consider what are the actions that are going to be put in place or that we're going to try to keep in place within the next year. And it's not all about politics, but I'm framing it that way because everything that we do is going to impact those things. Who has access? Who has visibility? Who has money? Who has a platform? Politics are an, an easy visual to be able to see what this can look like. But we're literally talking about this on a grassroots, boots on the ground type of way. And for me, that's so important because policy changing is important, but you still have to make sure that those on the ground are willing to adhere by this policy. And so to me, it's top down, bottom up, meet in the middle. So think about it in the sense of what it can impact on a political level. But think about what you're doing and how that comes up to meet that in the middle with your grassroots efforts, okay? Who are you in support of? The groups that you want to see uh, have more visibility, more access, more funding, more platform. Women, LGBTQIA+, indigenous, um, you know, the intersectionality piece is huge. Um, anyone that's disabled, it, it literally insert thing here. Okay. If it is black trans women, if it is indigenous, pe indigenous people that had their land stolen from them, that we are now occupying their land, um, which I have to look on the app to figure out what land I'm on. I always forget to bring it here, but I have looked at that as well. 
Um, but being clear, who are you in support of? Next question. This is number four. How will you use your platform? So if you know what's next, you know what your goal is, you know who you're supporting, great. How are you going to use your platform to get there, to do those things? Think about what your platform is and how you can best use it. I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. Best way to use your platform is not to be, I'm going to say it, the woke white woman complaining about the Trump voters on a Medium article. Don't be that person. And I'm going to say that because of the fact that that's not the best use of a platform. Screaming at them is not going to help. Doesn't change anything. And I don't need another white woman that is woke yelling, telling what is wrong. Are you going to help and actually like call people up to do better? Are you going to facilitate change or are you just going to bitch because you want a platform because you want your megaphone? Mm-mm. No, no. That's not the answer. The yelling, the complaining is not the thing. We're not doing that. It is fine to be upset. It is fine to feel all your feels. But I also want you to consider where is the best place for you to do this? Is this the best time to do this? Is this the best use of your resources? Just being honest. And I am imperfect here. And I'm saying this imperfectly. And I'm saying that I understand and appreciate and desire and request and demand imperfect action. But this is also the time to organize. Get your ass in formation. Last question. Okay, this is number five. Who will provide you with support and accountability? You can't do this alone. It's not even possible. It's not even a thing. It's not how this happens. We didn't have another 20 million people vote this election cycle versus 2016. And yet... This is all done alone. That's not how this works. This is a group effort. And so it is important to acknowledge who you need to be supported by. Again, access, resources, platform, network, you know, shoulder to, to, to cry on when you get overwhelmed, your therapist, your counselor, your coach, your, your clergy. What is it that you need? And who's going to hold you accountable? Who is going to be able to help to hold you up when it gets hard? Who is going to continue to propel you forward when things start trying to push you back? Support and accountability are key in maintaining momentum and moving forward. Who will provide you with support and accountability? If you don't know the answers to these things and you need support getting there, you can come over to pause on the play of the community and we can assist you with that. You do not have to do this alone. The community is a space that you can ask these questions and be able to have people ask you questions to help you get clear if you feel like you're not. Maybe you're still burnt out from the anxiety from the election cycle and just last week alone, last week was a lot, just waiting on numbers and just the pins and needles, you know, not knowing what was going to happen from when you went to sleep to when you woke up. And so it's important to just remember you don't have to do this alone. 
And so if you would like to inquire as to whether or not we are the place for you to be supported, come on over to pauseontheplay.com forward slash community and apply. If we are the fit for you, we're waiting for you. So I have given you a lot today and I know that. And as always, I appreciate you listening. I usually don't talk this long when I'm by myself, but this was important (laughs) and I felt like it needed to happen. And so as always, thank you for listening and for showing up here where I'm having this real conversation, normalizing the very challenging things and making sure that they are a part of your everyday exchanges while we cross lines, recreate boundaries so we can support and not separate. Let's continue to get more people dropping the veil and challenging their thoughts, feelings, and actions. I love being here and creating the bridge for you to walk over and become the change you want to see. So until next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take and then sharing this information across your team explicitly. This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?